September 7, 1922, Prince Regent Dom Pedro overlooks São Paulo's Iperanga River from a top lush rolling hill. Surrounded by troops of the Royal Guard on horseback, all in military garb, tall boots, pressed white uniforms, feathered gold headwear. He raised his saber to the air. Heroically and valiantly, he declares, Independencia! Oh, Marti! Independence or death? His countrymen enthusiastically chant, their stallions stir and neigh, their swords and hats follow his to the sky. On his regal brown horse, the emperor proclaims the independence of Brazil with a cry heard all throughout the continent. Onlookers on the countryside of the province of São Paulo gasp at the declaration of a new country, the formation of a new empire. Or did they? Nothing really important happened in September 7th of 1822. Nothing. On September 7th, Brazil will celebrate the 200th anniversary of its independence from Portugal. Riddled with family betrayals and historical inconsistencies, this period in Brazil is a truly peculiar and fascinating one, especially when compared with its Latin American neighbors. Independence elsewhere on the continent was a story of revolutionaries and republics. In Brazil, it was a story of the emancipation of a prince from his father and the independence of a country that did not exist yet. In this special miniseries, we'll walk you through the eccentricities and myths of this period, its legacy in the country 200 years later, and how Brazil became Brazil. I'm Caroline Coutinho of the Brazilian Report, and this is 1822, a special four-part series about how an independent Brazil came to be. That description of September 7th, 1822, is the image that is ingrained in the national memory. Thanks to no small part to Brazilian painter Pedro Américo, who immortalized the scene on canvas on 8088 with his painting Independence or Death, also known as the Cry of Ipiranga. The reality of that day was much less glamorous. He had gone to Sao Paulo in, in late August of 1822 to deal with a, a political issue there. That was Professor Hendrik Cray from the University of Calgary. And he had gone there to uh, reinforce his government, his position in Sao Paulo. So on, on his return, he had successfully solved the problems. He had actually had a similar thing in Minas Gerais that he'd gone to, or to earlier. So he, he does a number of these uh, journeys to... Um, to strengthen the, the political position of his allies in the, in these two uh, key provinces. Um, on the return from, uh, from Sao Paulo, he receives a batch of correspondence from, uh, from Lisbon via Rio de Janeiro that uh, really quite annoyed him and that he finally said, look, this is it. We're going to, from now on, independent or death is going to be our, our watchword. That's mm-hmm. uh, and he apparently did say more or less something like that, although he probably didn't do it in a very dramatic way because he was uh, suffering from uh, diarrhea, as was quite 
common for travelers at that time. And it certainly didn't look like the dramatic painting that's today in the Museo do, do Ipiranga, uh, Independencia Muerto Pedro Americus, uh, a painting from 1888 that portrays this as a very heroic thing with all of the, the men surrounding him on horseback and in full dress uniforms. And in fact, none of that, it didn't happen like that at all. They were, um, they were like travelers uh, dressed in their, uh, fatigues and were uh, riding mules, not uh, impressive horses, and they certainly weren't wearing their plumes and all of their uh, fancy dress uh, dress uniforms, which is not what you would do for traveling. And here's Professor João Paulo Garrido Pimenta, a historian at the University of São Paulo and author of the book E Deixou de Ser Colônia, and It's No Longer a Colony, describing the actual events of the now historic day. He received some letters from his wife and from his main counselor, José Bonifácio, and some other news uh, concerning the, um, the political state of Portugal, the work of uh, Portuguese courts in Lisbon, from the work of um, the deputies of Brazil and Portugal that were Uh, united um, writing a constitution in Portugal and uh, probably in, uh, in this day uh, Pedro said something to his guards and um, probably he wrote some, some things uh, evaluating the political situation and um, Uh, and nobody at that epoch paid attention to this day, September 7th. Nowadays, most of the people think that the independence was declared that day, but it never really happened. It was just a creation of the new nation, of the new uh, national symbols, that started to happen after independence. In fact, Brazilian independence was no dramatic revolution. More than anything, it was a continuation. After the departure of Dom João VI in 1821, after the Portuguese royal family had spent 13 years in the Americas, the monarch's son, Dom Pedro, stayed behind in Brazil as Prince Regent. The royal family was ushered back to Portugal after pressure from constitutional revolutionaries who were uneasy about Brazil's growing influence and stature in the empire. And these demands did not end with the return of Dom João VI. The Portuguese wanted even more. They wanted to take Brazil back to its colonial past. Newly enriched with economic autonomy granted to them during the monarchy's stays in the country, Brazilian aristocrats grew increasingly worried of these regressive policies. Wishing to continue to grow their industry and trade, they rallied behind Dom Pedro to defeat them, the prince, now the highest royal in the country, and its only national political leader, saw himself stuck in the middle of a tug of war. While Brazilians begged him to stay and defeat their interests, Portuguese revolutionaries demanded his return to Europe. And after receiving a petition signed by 8,000 Brazilians, a significant number at the time, asking for Dom Pedro not to cave to Portuguese demands, the prince stood on the balcony of the royal palace in Rio de Janeiro and told the crown below. Se é para o bem todos e felicidade geral da nação, 
Diga ao povo que fico. If it is for the good of all and the general happiness of the nation, I am ready. Tell the people that I will stay. Remembered in history as the I will stay day, this decision kickstarted a series of actions and counteractions between Dom Pedro and the Portuguese court he was slowly betraying in favor of a forming new empire. You get continued insistence from uh, Lisbon about Pedro to return, about uh, to cease and desist, do what he's doing, that sort of, uh, those sorts of orders that result in increasing a sequence of kind of declarations on the part of, of Pedro that that port that uh, he is going to be uh, his monarchy is independent from uh, from Lisbon and can take on its own own actions and one of the very important ones is this uh, manifesto to the nations in um in uh, in early August of 1822 that essentially declares that uh, that uh, Brazil is is independent although that has not been subsequently invented as the declaration of uh, of independence so it's it's a gradual process with the and all all around really the the autonomy of the uh autonomy of this government in Rio de Janeiro. Framing himself as the perpetual defender of Brazil, Dom Pedro kicks Portuguese troops out of Rio de Janeiro and begins to appoint Brazilian nationals to his ministries. And one month after declaring independence or death, the prince becomes an emperor. On October 12th, Dom Pedro's birthday, thousands took to the street to hear his proclamation from his window at the palace of Campo da Santa Ana. With his soon-to-be subjects, national leaders and foreign authorities looking on, Dom Pedro officially proclaimed Brazil's independence from Portugal and was acclaimed emperor of a new nation. Many at the time, in 1822, considered, in Rio de Janeiro, considered that really the, the date of independence, the declaration of, uh, of independence. He called a constituent assembly to establish the laws of the new country, and that night took part of a multitude of celebrations. While the momentous night was a downpour, the now officially Brazilian people commemorated with parties and the unveiling of national symbols. Dom Pedro himself attended the first performance of the national anthem. Yet, behind the pomp and circumstance, this was no revolution. From monarch to monarch, father to son, the country had only substituted the head that wore its crown. However, while not a republican turnover of regimes, there was a revolutionary idea that came out of Brazilian independence. It was not easy to maintain the monarchy in Brazil. Indeed, it was a new monarchy. It was not exactly the old monarchy that was just surviving in Brazil. It was a new monarchy, mainly because it was um, a political government based on something really new, a constitution. A constitution was a political principle considered revolutionary principle at that epoch. Even so, the constitutionality of the monarchy was largely superficial. Displeased with the decision of the Constituent Assembly to place legislative power above the executive, 
Dom Pedro dissolved the committee and carried out the first coup in Brazilian history, just a year into its formal beginnings as a nation. After that event, known as the Night of Agony, the prince established his own regime. While not absolutist, it established a fourth supreme power alongside the traditional three branches of government. This moderating power, the crown, stood above the constitutional branches, making them virtually irrelevant, at least in theory. Uh, eventually, of course, in, in November 1823, Pedro closes the Constituent Assembly and sends the deputies home, but he promises to uh, grant his own constitution, which he claims will be doubly liberal, more liberal than anything that the other uh, uh, the, the the deputies were going to to write. Um, that's a little bit of rhetoric, but uh, nevertheless, in March of 1824, then he does issue a constitution, which will become the constitution of the Brazilian Empire, actually Brazil's longest lived constitution that will remain in force until 1889. And that is a kind of um, an interesting kind of mix of uh, allow, and people have interpreted this document in quite different different kind of ways. Some will emphasize the the centralizing authoritarian elements of it, the centrality of the monarchy, the moderating power of the monarchy, which is a, a power that sort of sits above the legislative, executive, and judiciary in a traditional breakdown of, of the three powers. Um, but it's also a, a constitution that has a lot of uh, very liberal provisions. A bill of rights that is, is quite long and becomes a very important in, in politics, in popular politics in particular. A bill of rights that specifies things like equality before the law, equal access to government posts, um, that sort of emphasizes a, a liberal non-discriminatory regime, which um, really does develop in Brazil in the sense that they um, eliminate a lot of the formal legal uh, discrim racial discrimination that was formerly legally institutionalized in the colonial regime. The Brazilian state, at least relative to its contemporary counterparts, was a liberal state. Uh, the mm -hmm. empire is a regime that for most of its its history, there's short periods in the uh, 1820s where it's not quite there, but where there's considerable freedom of the press. In fact, Many foreign visitors to Brazil in the 19th century remarked that there's more freedom of the press here than, than at home. Paradoxical and contradictory, Brazil's first regime following its independence was a complicated one, formed not by a popular or representative will, but by the interests of a king. Brazilian independence never claimed to be a republican movement, but it was far from anything even resembling a revolution. Incentivized by aristocratic interests and led by the already existing monarch, it was closer to a continuation of a regime. Yet, all around the new state, other recently independent Latin American countries were quickly beginning to shatter. Liberated by Simón Bolívar, Spanish America broke up into larger territories, then into more than a dozen states. Having already lost control over the cisplatine province that would eventually become Uruguay, it seems impossible that Brazil will be able to keep its huge territory united. Its independence was only fully recognized by its three sovereign provinces of Rio de Janeiro, São Paulo, and Minas Gerais, with the remaining captaincies worry of Dom Pedro's strong centralized control. So, even with these geographic obstacles and regional independence movements, how did Brazil remain united? This is something of a false question, because it implies that Portuguese America was actually united in the colonial period. 
when in fact it was a series of captaincies with only very minimal links to the Viceroy, first in Salvador and then in Rio de Janeiro, uh, and each of the captaincies dealing mostly directly with um, with uh, with Lisbon. So, so in that sense, we could argue that you know, it's, it's a false question to say, why did it remain united? Because it hadn't been united before. The question then becomes, what kinds of uh, alliances and articulations and interests were served by um, accepting that Rio de Janeiro would become the capital of the Brazilian monarchy with Pedro as the as the monarch? We'll be talking about that along the myth of Brazil's peaceful independence in the next episode of 1822. This series was written and produced by Eric Zockman, Edits and fact-checking by Ewan Marshall. As always, we'll ask you to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. It only takes a second and it will help us reach a broader audience. Or, better yet, sign up for The Brazilian Report, the journalistic engine behind this podcast. We have a subscription-based business model and your subscriptions fuel our journalism and keep us going and growing. If you're already a subscriber, then you can give us some extra support by filling our coffee mugs with donations on Buy Me A Coffee. This membership program offers special perks like behind-the-scenes content and exclusive newsletters. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash report for more. We want to thank our Buy Me A Coffee members, Felipe Saito, José Rosi Stankovic, Gabriela Graf Ines, Emerging Market Muser, Yadrin Iftar, Tonica Thompson, Anderson da Silva, Kat Kramer, Fra, Peter Suffren, Anna Lan, and someone who chose to remain anonymous. I'm Caroline Coutinho, thanks for listening, and I'll be back with episode 3 of this four-part series. <laughs>